edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, December 5th, 2017. Kicking us off a little on the loose by Saga. Why? I don't know. I wish I had a good answer for you. Just popped into my head and I figured let's go with it. We've got a big show to get to tonight. We've got uh, NFL and lots of college football. Maybe try to squeeze some NBA in also at the end of the show. But we start in the NFL and as we often do, as we always do, we start with the lines. We're not really going to talk about the lines. Um, they're really not worth discussing at this point. Uh, another loss. Back-to-back weeks now where uh, they've had uh, they've been shorthanded on defense. They had 10 men on the field against Minnesota on Thanksgiving. And then in a critical third down uh, play against the Ravens this week after they after yet another slow start. Uh, down 20 to nothing this time. Um, they got it to 20 to, was going to be 20 to 14, except their all pro kicker, Matt Prater, missed an extra point after earlier missing a 43 yard field goal, which he never misses. So you know it was just going to be one of those days. Um, and at 20, despite all that, at 20 to 13, um, they, had the Ravens in a third and seven and nine men on the field on defense. Nine. Nine men. Not 12. Nine. And did the coach call a timeout? No. No, he didn't. Somehow he didn't call a timeout. Um, and that, my friends, uh, and we'll end it here as far as lines are concerned, but that, my friends, will be the, the signature moment for the end of Jim Caldwell's <clears throat> tenure as head coach of the Lions. That's that. If Bob Quinn is who we think he is, right? Came from the Patriots organization where, you know, just going, you know, going nine and seven or ten and six, maybe if everything breaks your way, eleven and five, maybe winning a playoff game, although the Lions haven't done that since nineteen ninety one. Or getting in and then losing one and done, that's not acceptable. That's not where Bob Quinn supposedly wants to take this organization. You know, it's interesting. The somewhat new president of the organization, Rod Wood, the Lions, I guess, had had banners up in Ford Field of when they won the division, when they made it as a wild card, had them taken down this year. They did a lot of new enhancements to the stadium as well, had those taken down. So if, and by doing that, what you're announcing is that that's not good enough, as it should be. So if that's your charter, if that's your mission statement, if you will, as an organization, explain to me how Jim Caldwell gets to keep his job. And listen, Jim Caldwell is a very nice man from all accounts. Calm demeanor, serves him well sometimes. And he's not a bad coach. I'm sure he and his staff put in just as many hours as everybody else in the league. I'm sure he wants to win just as much as everybody else. I do not think that his philosophy, and by extension, the offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter's philosophy, is in line with Matthew Stafford's A, talent level, and B, the way Matthew Stafford would like to play. And he'll never tell you that because Matthew Stafford is a team guy first and foremost, one of the reasons why I love him. He'll do whatever is asked of him. Matthew Stafford has been here nine years. I talked about this last week. The best running attack he's had is 17. 
He's not said a peep. The Lions' offensive line has gotten worse and worse and worse in the last however many years, five years. You haven't heard a word from him. He's the third or second or third most sacked quarterback in the league this year, and it's not because he holds the ball for an hour and a half. Doesn't say a word. But Caldwell is conservative by nature. He wants to try to keep the game close and have the quarterback go win it for him. That that worked a little bit last year. Lions had eight fourth-quarter comeback wins. It's not a formula for sustained success. And the Lions have been down now double digits three games in a row and seven out of their 12 games this year. It's ridiculous. They treat Matthew Stafford like he's Alex Smith from like five years ago or like he's a rookie quarterback. Let's let's let him be a game manager early in the game. Let's never be aggressive early in the game. They talked all week last week about how they got to get off to a fast start. What do they do this week? After the joke of play calling, which I outlined last week, which I documented last week in the Vikings game, after moronically taking the opening kickoff when the Lions won the coin toss, they deferred this week, finally went back to what had worked for the last three seasons, or two seasons. Since Bob Quinn has been here, the Lions have deferred almost every single time. In fact, the Vikings game on Thanksgiving was the first time I remember them winning the coin toss and not deferring. And I'm pretty sure... Or I'd like to think anyway. I don't. I have no way of knowing this. But since the Patriots always do that, I'm pretty sure, or I'd like to think, that Bob Quinn went to Jim Caldwell and said, "Okay, Jimbo. First of all, because remember, Bob Quinn didn't hire Jim Caldwell. He was already here. It was a Martin Mayhew hire. Bob Quinn came in after. Remember, the Lions went one and six. Mayhew got fired. Joe Lombardi got fired. Cooter got promoted to offensive coordinator." And then after that season, Bob Quinn was hired. He came in. They left it up to him. You could keep the coach. You could fire the coach. He met with Caldwell for a week in intensive meetings. They watched film together. They talked philosophy together. Bob Quinn decided Jim Caldwell was the right man for the job. And last year at 9-4, and four, it looked like that was a good call. Then, you know, you want to use Stafford's in finger injury? The reason the Lions last, lost their last three games last year didn't help. They didn't have Darius Slay for the Cowboys game. Didn't help. Or could it be that the Lions played good teams? They played the Cowboys, who last year were a good team. They played the Packers, who last year were a good team. And they played the Giants. All three of those teams won 11 or more games. And the Lions lost to all of them. And were kind of non-competitive in all three of them, too. I mean, the Giants game was kind of close early. That Zach Zenner fumble inside the five-yard line was a killer. Um, But anyway, I digress. The point is, Bob Quinn had his chance, or had a chance early on, decided to keep Caldwell. That's fine. It looked like the right move at 9-4. They lost their last three games, got blown out in the playoffs against Seattle, and now they're 6-6. So since 9-4, they've played, including a playoff game, how many games? 16 games? They're 6 and 10. Not great. So I believe what you saw on Sunday 
with nine men on the field, among other gaffes that we won't even, I won't bore you with, is the beginning and the end of the Jim Caldwell era. And if they get blown out this Sunday, I mean, look, technically the Lions are still alive. They're 6-6. Six and six. If they win out, they could possibly make the playoffs. They're going to need a lot of help. You've got Seattle with eight wins. You've got uh, Carolina with eight wins. And Atlanta is 7-5, and five, but they technically would have a two-game advantage over the Lions because the Lions lost them head-to-head. And then you got Green Bay at six and six. You got Dallas at six and six. I mean, you know, look, stranger things have happened. But again, is that is that good enough? You win out, and then you maybe you squeak in because you know everything breaks right for you, and then probably lose another first round game. Again, Jim Caldwell's not a bad coach. He's not the guy to take him to the next level. They need bold. They need someone bold. Obviously, somebody knows what they're doing, but somebody with a bold vision. Jim Caldwell's not the guy. He's not the guy. I mean, they started this game out after they got the ball back. Run, run, pass. Now, I understand that they were inside their own 10-yard line. Who cares? It's Matthew Stafford. Stop treating him like he's a rookie quarterback and feeling it out. And then you wonder how you didn't get off to a fast start again. It's a joke. We'll spend the weeks to come trying to figure out who would be a suitable replacement or the most attractive replacement for for Caldwell and his staff. Um, You know, certainly, of course, the the usual suspects will be Matt um, Patricia, the D coordinator for the Patriots. But more likely, Josh McDaniels, who's the offensive coordinator for the Patriots, because, you know, he is, you know, Brady loves him and he's an offensive guy and you'd think you'd want to give an offensive guy for Stafford. I, I, I don't know that that's always necessarily the case. At this point, he's going to be in his 10th year. It's not like he needs a quarterback whisperer anymore. Now, believe me, I would love to see uh, an offensive coordinator come in here and a head coach in general that doesn't coach afraid all the time. I'd love to see that. And, you know, a lot of people draw the parallel, will draw the parallel, have drawn the parallel between McDaniels and Belichick because McDaniels was a complete flame-out disaster his first go-around, kind of like the way Belichick was with the Browns. Although people forget they did make the playoffs with Vinny Testaverde, by the way, a quarterback, when Belichick was the head coach of the Browns. Um... So people will look back at that. Plus, McDaniels was super young when he got that Broncos job. You know, you'd think he's learned a lot. It's been almost 10 years now. So those will be names that will pop up. And there'll be, you know, a bunch of other hot coordinators, some other teams that will pop up in the the next, you know, month, two months. Giants got started early, finally firing that disaster, Ben McAdoo. And Jerry Reese, who, look. Jerry Reese was here for two Super Bowls. You want to, you know, the, the, the Jerry Reese people, the, the, the haters, the people that hate Jerry Reese are going to say he inherited a team that Ernie Acorsi built. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> that's true to a certain extent. Um, but the second team was largely a team that he built. And even in 07, I mean, they, you know, they had that draft class was really good. I mean, guys like Kevin Boss from, like, Eastern Oregon 
were, were you know, seventh round picks who, who were productive. So anyway, the Giants have gotten started early and we'll see a lot of other teams probably firing coaches. You know, San Francisco has a bad record. They have a first-year coach. Obviously, Shanahan's not going anywhere. Bears will probably move on from John Fox. Um, Let's see. Look around. You know, Jets would look... It would appear Todd Bowles is going to keep his job, and he should. I think he absolutely should. I mean, that team plays hard every week. Here's an idea, by the way. Maybe Andy Reid will be looking for a job. I mean, if Kansas City continues to tank like this, they were 5-0, and now they're 6-6. Six and six. They looked like a completely unorganized mess and undisciplined mess against the, uh, the Jets on Sunday. They finally get off the Schneid offensively, score 31 points, and still lose. You let Josh McCown put up 34 points on you, that's embarrassing. Should never happen. Um, Jay Gruden... Could his time be coming to an end in, in Washington? I know they've had a lot of injuries, and it's a constant, you know, soap opera with the quarterback there. With you know, are they going to franchise him? He's going to get a big deal. I don't know. Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay—they've been a massive disappointment. I mean, I didn't think they were all that good to begin with, but they were. You know, remember they were the it girl, hard knocks, Tampa Bay. Look out, Jameis Winston, the next great leader. Amongst young quarterbacks in the NFL, I doubt Arizona would move on from Bruce Arians. They're five and seven. Their seasons, you know, probably playoffs are out of reach. But you know, they've had they've had they have quarterback issues. They need a quarterback in Arizona. Plain and simple, they need a quarterback. Carson Palmer is over the hill slash injury prone and done. They need a quarterback. And you know, losing their best player, David Johnson, early in the year, obviously was a major blow. And after one good game, you know, Adrian Peterson hasn't found the fountain of youth. You know, Denver's got a new head coach. I, you know, ha- they've had a disastrous season at 3-9. They're not moving on. Uh, probably uh, Chuck Pagano is going to be done in Indianapolis. They're 3-9. and nine. Houston's not doing anything with Bill O'Brien. They were on their way to probably a nice season until Deshaun Watson got hurt. Who knows if Cleveland will move on from Hugh Jackson. They are obviously uh, in danger of going 0-12. I don't think Miami would get rid of Adam Gaze. They made the playoffs last year. They're having a you know a bad year this year at 5-7. and seven. The Bengals could move on from Marvin Lewis. They're 5-7. and seven. Another completely undisciplined performance by them last night. We'll get to that in a little bit. You know, he's been there, what, 11 years, 12 years? Now, they made the playoffs a bunch. They never win a playoff game with them. But, you know, if I'm the Lions, and I'm a, and as a Lions fan, I, I don't want Marvin Lewis as my coach. He's a retread at this point. I need somebody with new, young, fresh ideas. So, which takes us to, by the way, that game last night between Pittsburgh and Cincy. Listen, these teams hate each other. Every time they play, it's, you know, physical <laughs> if you at, at, if you want to put it politely it's a stream, an extremely physical game if you want to call it what it is it's a bunch of dirty plays a lot of dirty plays stuff that's over the line which is interesting though because again you have to view it view it through the prism of modern day football okay a lot of the stuff last night 10 years ago 
20 years ago for sure, was just viewed as good, old-fashioned, clean, hard-nosed football. Not today. Not knowing what we know with brain injuries. So when Juju Smith-Schuster cracked back blocks on a linebacker, Vontez Burfecht, who has his own reputation as being a dirty player, uh, and lays him out, you know, with a shoulder, but first of all, to me, that's, 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 that's a BS coward move, okay? When you go and you go back and, and lay a defender out, and maybe because it happened to me a bunch in high school, but when you go back and you lay somebody out with a big hit and the guy can't, doesn't see you coming, that's weak. You know, I know Heinz Ward, by the way, made a career of doing that for the Steelers. Broke Keith Rivers' jaw with a cheap shot block like that, which back in the day, when this was not that long ago, probably 10 years ago, Heinz Ward was lauded for that. Ooh, tough guy, Heinz Ward. But now, that's pretty much considered a dirty play, if not an illegal play. And then he made matters worse by standing over Perfect and posing over him and taunting him. Which, by the way, is bad enough. But earlier in the game, his own teammate, Ryan Shazier, whilst making a tackle, dropped his head. It was a clean tackle, but he dropped his head. And he crumpled to the ground, immediately grabbed for his back, and then was on the ground for a good 10, 15 minutes, never moved his legs. They had to bring the board out and everything. It was a very troubling scene, to say the least. So I haven't, you know, after having seen his teammate go through that earlier in the game, then he has the audacity to stand over the guy? Are you out of your mind? What's wrong with you? And listen, I'm not saying Juju Smith-Schuster is some dirty player. I, he's a rookie in the league, I, you know. And again, the block he made, you want to call it illegal, borderline dirty, whatever. Again, five years ago, ten years ago, it was a perfectly legal play. Uh, but you don't stand over a guy like that. Now, I get it uh, to a certain extent. You know, Steelers fans would defend it and say, well, it's Vontez Burford. He got what's coming to him. You know, listen, again, he's in concussion protocol. I mean, that's, this is no joke. The brain injuries are no joke anymore. It's not like the old days where you got your bell rung and then you just go back out there. And so he got suspended for a game. Uh, Georgia Loka, the Cincinnati safety, got suspended for a game for a questionable hit. Uh, Which brings us to uh, Rob Gronkowski, Gronk, the tight end for the Patriots, and the ridiculous classless cheap shot he laid on uh, Tredavious White, the fine rookie corner from the Bills, where he got an interception, was down, rolled out of bounds, and then Gronk about a good 30 seconds later decides to come spear the guy while he's lying down out of bounds. Head to head, guy got concussed, had to leave the game, What's the NFL's big message that they're going to send? Because they're all about player safety and brain injuries. One game suspension. What a joke. That should have been four games easily. You want to suspend him for the rest of the year? Fine with me. And this isn't because he plays for the Patriots and I don't like the Patriots. If that were a player on the Lions, I'd want the same penalty for that person. Four games minimum. 
if you're serious as a league about sending a message to the players that that kind of stuff is unacceptable. One game isn't any kind of a deterrent. One game is not a deterrent. I'm sorry. And, you know, he was very contrite after Gronk. Oh, that's not who I am. No, that is who you are because you did that. You're a big clown. And now you're a dirty player on top of it. Oh, but hey, Patriots fans and Bob Kraft and your smug quarterback, you want to still pretend that the league has it in for you? God forbid somebody would have done that to the Golden Boy TB12. That player probably would have been kicked out of the league. But no, the league has it in for you. Wah! The guy gets one game. What a joke. Other than the Deflategate nonsense, which again, anybody with a brain knows the reason that the NFL went after them was because of the smug way they reacted in light of the fact that the NFL has been kissing your ass for 20 years and that was the thanks you showed them. So they'd finally had enough. After they gave you a slap on the wrist for Spygate, after they invoked some arcane rule nobody's ever heard of with the tuck rule, after they invented a rule that you can't hit a quarterback in the knee because uh, Bernard Pollard tackled Tom Brady low on a perfectly clean play, a play that was clean for 40 years, 50, 60 years, then all of a sudden became illegal because it happened to Tom Brady. And Gronk gets one game for one of the cheapest, dirtiest, most cowardly acts I've ever seen on a football field. One game. And listen, I didn't like the Juju Smith-Schuster hit last night. At least it happened in the, in, the, in the course of playing. He was throwing a block. What Gronkowski did, the guy's lying out of bounds, plays over. 30 seconds later, he comes out of nowhere and spears the guy. Gronkowski's like 275 pounds. This D-back's probably 190 pounds. you got to be kidding me. If that wasn't on a football field, that'd be qualified as assault. At least the Smith-Schuster play was, again, in the field of play during the course of, an, of the action. He threw a block. It's a crackback block. Again, that play used to be illegal years and years ago. Not even that long ago. Now it's not. I mean, the hypocrisy is stunning in the NFL. Stunning. Again, sometimes it makes you wonder why you would root for this sport and this league. It really does. When you have guys like Jerry Jones running teams and Bob McNair, you know, it really, Bob Kraft, it really makes you wonder. But again, I'm, I'm a hypocrite myself because <laughs> there I am. Paying my money, paying my whatever, $400, $300 a year for DirecTV so I can watch the Lions of all teams <laughs> from the comfort of my own home because God forbid I leave my cushy lair and have to go out with the rest of the hoi polloi to a sports bar. I got to watch it at home. Ay, ay, ay. All right, we'll be back. We'll take a short break. We'll be back to college right after this.
we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. The Ricker, Rick James, taking us back from break with you and I. All right, we get to college football, and uh, the final four are set. Uh, A little pat on the back to myself. I nailed all the uh, predictions. Uh, Ohio State did indeed beat Wisconsin. Georgia did indeed beat Auburn. Clemson took care of Miami. Um, So those were the games, really, that uh, were going to determine the outcome, we thought, anyway, of the Final Four. Now it turns out that Alabama is in the uh, Final Four, if you will, the college football playoff, instead of Ohio State. Even though Ohio State beat a team that was ranked fourth at the time in Wisconsin, was an undefeated team, and by virtue of that, won their conference. Alabama not only didn't win its conference championship because they didn't even get into the game, they didn't even win their division in their conference. And again, Alabama's resume to me was not particularly good. When your best win was against LSU, who lost to Troy, that's the problem. So what the committee basically has told you and told us is this. Conference championships don't matter. Pedigree matters. And history and reputation matter. Because, remember, Ohio State got in last year. They got blown out by Clemson. Embarrassingly so. And I know the committee will sit there and tell you we don't look at it for... We we look at each year as its own entity. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure you do. You're going to tell me nobody sat in that room on Saturday night or Sunday morning before they announced this and said, uh, we don't want another... uh, Oh, and sorry, Oklahoma beat TCU was my other prediction. Um, We don't want another... Ohio State-Clemson matchup, do we? I mean, that would be pretty ugly. Imagine if Ohio State lays an egg again against Clemson. We might look pretty silly. Who has a better chance of beating Clemson, Alabama or Ohio State? And they probably all said Alabama. Although I don't know that that's necessarily true. Ohio State's a weird team. When they want to play, they can play with anybody. We saw it against Wisconsin. I mean, you could just tell. Look, I said this last week. Wisconsin's a fine team. They have nothing to be embarrassed about. They have nothing to feel bad about. But Wisconsin is who Wisconsin is. They're a pretty one-dimensional offense with a pretty good defense. But when they have to go up against teams with, with serious athletes, they're going to fall short. That's just how it goes. You saw those long touchdown plays that Ohio State got. Wisconsin had no shot. None. Those guys made one or two guys miss. They were in the secondary. They were gone. Wisconsin have anybody with the speed to keep up or catch those guys. And frankly, the only reason that game was even close is because Ohio State shot itself in the foot on numerous occasions. I mean, the first 10 points Wisconsin got in that game were the direct result. One was a pick six, which is a horrible read and throw by JT Barrett. Threw it right to the linebacker, walked it in from 10 yards out for a touchdown. And then the other, they got a field goal after another turnover by Ohio State deep in their own territory, and Ohio State's defense bowed up and held them to a field goal. So, listen, I, I, can, I can almost understand 
the argument against Ohio State. They had two losses. They got blown out by Iowa. See, losing to Iowa in Iowa, there's no shame in that. But giving up 55 points and losing by 30, that ain't great. And this was not a great Iowa team. It was a 7-5 and five Iowa team. Again, anybody who's ever listened to me knows I have a tremendous amount of respect for their program and their coach, Kirk Ferentz. But losing 55-31 to 31 or whatever that was, it's a bad look. You know, losing Oklahoma really early in the year, no big deal. Oklahoma is probably the best team in the country right now. Because their offense has always been dynamic and pretty much unstoppable. And now their defense is actually starting to play. So, again, you know, what it says to me is mm, it's a flawed system, it's better than the BCS. But it should probably be more than four teams. And, of course, you know, all the lazy thinkers out there will say, well, there's no way you could do more than four. You know, and there'll be some disingenuous arguments out there from the Kirk Herbstreets of the world that'll tell you, well, you know, I don't know about, you know, what about classes and things like that? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of integrity in college football. We're going to get to that in a second when we talk about the coaching changes. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, Herbie. And listen, I understand you want to try. To, you 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 are uh, you work. You know, it's your bread and butter as an analyst, right? On game day, and then you do the games. I get it. And you played college football at Ohio State. I, I understand. And you love the sport. I understand. It's genuine. I get it. But is nothing ever wrong in college football, Herbie? I mean, could I see one criticism from you about college football? What? Just one. And don't tell me that Division I college football can't have a playoff because the lower divisions all have playoffs with like 16 teams, and those kids actually go to class, unlike these guys. And remember, everybody said this couldn't even happen. You couldn't even have four teams, and now we do. Of course you can. You could have eight Oh, but then where does it stop? Then you might have to get to 16. So what? If it's better for the sport. And it'll be very interesting, by the way, because I was looking at the bowl games this year, and I forget who UCLA is playing. And at first I was like, oh, that'll be good. I'll watch, I'll watch that game because I want to see Rosen play again, the quarterback. And then I said to myself, oh, guess what? He might not even play that game. Why would he play that game? He's going to the pros. Remember, we saw it last year, right? Leonard Fournette sat out. Um, I forget who the other player. There was another big-time player. Oh, McCaffrey didn't play, right? And then Jake Butt, the tight end from Michigan, did play, and he blew out his knee. Now, he ended up getting drafted, but in the third round. And he just came back and started playing. So these other bowl games are being pretty much relegated to a relevant status at least for the again the big time pro prospects on those teams that you're going to want to watch i guarantee you more and more of them are going to sit them out now because they it can only be bad for them too. think about it they can either only get hurt if you're josh rosen you've probably put enough on tape so far for pro scouts to have made up their mind about you 
If you go out and play in that bowl game, and let's say you have a really bad game, that's only going to hurt your draft status, probably. Hurt. And, to, you know, have a, have a, you know, you blow out a knee or you separate your shoulder, you know, something really bad, have a catastrophic injury. So there's really not a lot of upside. So I don't want to hear about how these other bowl games, you, you, you could figure out a way. You could figure out a way to expand the playoff numbers from four to eight or 16 even if you wanted to. You could figure it out. Again, it's better than it was, but it still needs fixing. Now, my Bulldogs took care of business against Auburn, 28-7. Again, I predicted it. I did call it, not to pat myself on the back, but... And I, again, I was surprised that people like Reese Davis, who pretty much knows what's going on, he's a pretty astute observer of college football. He's been doing it for a while. Thought, you know, well, I don't see what you would have seen in that game in Auburn against Georgia that would make you think Georgia could beat Auburn. Well, okay, Reese. Again, I talked about it last week. I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but you know, Georgia left a ton of points on the board in that last game and shot themselves in the foot all over the place. Plus, it was in Auburn. This game was at a neutral site. Neutral, more favorite probably for Georgia, to be fair, because the game was in Atlanta. And I will give Georgia's coaching staff credit. They made adjustments. They threw the ball earlier on earlier downs. Now, they weren't deep shots down the field, but they got their running backs involved in the passing game. Three really good ones in Swift, Chubb, and uh, Michelle. Defense played lights out after the first drive. I thought even they overcame some very questionable uh, officiating. And so now you're going to have Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson, and Alabama. Which I would have loved to have seen it flipped, only because I'm, I really like watching Oklahoma play right now too. That offense is spectacular, really fun to watch, and that game was over pretty much after TCU fumbled on their first possession. Oklahoma scooped and scored to go up ten nothing. You know, they had held Oklahoma to a field goal on its first drive, which is practically a, a huge win for a defense right now, as well as Oklahoma's offense is playing. You know, you get the ball back, even if you get field position, you know, even if you get a couple of first downs and punt there, you know, kick a field goal, great, touchdown even better if you're TCU. You know, the worst possible outcome, of course, was a fumble return for a touchdown. And that was pretty much it from there on. And Clemson absolutely annihilated Miami, no, no surprise. Miami's not that good. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma. I've got to think about it a little bit more. You know, we've, we've got some time. It's three weeks away. We'll do, we'll, we'll get to predictions uh a little further down the road. But speaking of college football and hypocrisy and the, the laughable notion that these are student athletes and that this is not 
pretty much just driven by money. Jimbo Fisher, former coach of Florida State, who presided over the Jameis Winston saga where he was uh, accused of rape, sexual assault, um, a massive cover-up ensued by the Tallahassee police, people at Florida State, probably the coach. Jameis Winston was not the lone bad actor. There were multiple, multiple reports at times that a whole investigative story on it. Multiple bad actors on that team. What was Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher's punishment? Nothing. Oh, and guess what? He just became the highest paid coach in the history of college football. Bravo. Bravo, college football. We are really sending a good message, aren't we? Where did he go? Texas A&M. Because they have to compete with Nick Saban, who makes $8 million a year or $7 million a year at Alabama. Where the next highest, I think, government or state employee makes about $250,000 a year or something like that. And Nick Saban makes $7 million a year for a public state university in Alabama. Not exactly the richest state in the union. But this is college football, folks. This isn't pro football. It's college. We're shaping young minds here. So Jimbo Fisher gets a 10-year, $80 million contract from Texas A&M. Another state university, by the way. Texas A&M fired Kevin Sumlin. 600 winning percentage overall. 27 and 25 in the SEC. Very hard conference. That's not good enough for Texas A&M. Texas A&M, who are you? Who do you think you are? Like you have some pedigree, some birthright to compete for a national championship? You're Texas A&M. You should be thrilled you go 8-3 and and you make a good bowl game. And yet you're going to give Jimbo Fisher $80 million for 10 years? What happened? Bobby Petrino wasn't available? The other creep from Louisville? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And not a peep, by the way, from anybody. Everyone loved to jump on the Tennessee bandwagon and all the hand-wringing about poor Greg Schiano and how he got, you know, it was a witch hunt and he got, he got completely shafted. And some of that might be true. Because there was no hard evidence that he did know anything about Sandusky. Okay. Again, uh, you know, separate from that, I thought he would have been a terrible hire for Tennessee to begin with anyway, just based on the fact that, you know, he's a Northeast guy. Uh, You know, he didn't exactly leave Rutgers in great shape when he left. You know, he basically hijacked that school for millions of dollars for facilities Right in a state that's drowning in debt in New Jersey, and then hightailed it out of there. You know, this is the same clown that told his defensive lineman for Tampa Bay, "You know, let's jump over the line when teams are in victory formation." That's a great example to set. So I'm just not a big Greg Schiano guy to begin with. I didn't think he'd be a good hire for Tennessee. Seemed like a very ill-fit, ill-fitting uh, situation there. But whatever. 
But so there's a lot of hand-wringing about that. Didn't I haven't seen a peep out of anybody about the fact that Jimbo Fisher, chief enabler of horrible behavior by his players at Florida State, just got paid the biggest, richest contract in the history of college football. Let that sink in for a sec. Now, there was some good news to report on the coaching front. Uh, Scott Frost went back to the current UCF coach. Well, now not anymore. He's taking the job in Nebraska. Look, it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. He played at Nebraska. Tom Osborne, I think, is the AD there. Former great Nebraska coach. You know, asked him to come back. Look, Nebraska has really fallen on hard times. You know, Bo Pelini wasn't good enough for them because, again, they only won eight or nine games a year. Um, they love to have Bo Pelini back. They hired Mike Riley, again, very nice guy, West Coast guy, you know, coached in the pros, San Diego, coached at Oregon State. Seemed like an odd hire. Didn't work out. And, you know, you could tell Frost really did, he was genuine in the fact that he was really torn. He loves what's going on there at UCF. I mean, look, they were 0-12 two years ago, and they just went undefeated this year and just won the conference championship in a crazy, thrilling overtime win over Memphis, 62-55. So, you know, that was a good hire, and he handled it classly. Oh, and I'm sorry, for another footnote to the Jimbo Fisher thing. Not only is this guy, is, this guy should be thanking his lucky stars that he's a head coach anywhere, frankly, um, let alone the, now the richest head coach anywhere, in college rather. But he also then on, the, on his way out the door at Florida State, which basically gave him a pass and supported him while his players were committing bad acts all over the place, okay, had the nerve to trash Florida State and say their facilities weren't up to standards. And Oh, yeah, because they're probably spending so much money on the academic programs there, right, Jimbo? Yeah, that must be what it is. It's like a community college, Florida State. What are you kidding? Get out of here. Sorry, anybody out there went to Florida State. I'm sure it's a fine institution. It's not exactly the Harvard of the South, though. It's basically Rollins College, but with football. (laughs) Dan Mullen uh, went from, speaking of Florida schools, Dan Mullen went from Mississippi State back to Florida, where it was the office coordinator. Again, another no-brainer move. And again, look, Dan Mullen took over, you know, Mississippi State, Tough place, Starkville, right? Uh, they loved him there. He did a very nice job there. Dak Prescott was there. You know, they put guys in the pros the last few years. They, pretty, you know, they go to a bowl game. Um, but it's a no-brainer. I mean, you can go back to Florida. It's a better job. I mean, it just is. But he wasn't a jerk about it on his way out the door either. He thanked everybody in Mississippi State and for all for the opportunity that they gave him, and he didn't take shots at them. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's a natural progression. The Florida job's a better job. It's a lot more pressure at Florida than there is at Mississippi State. So you go seven five at Mississippi State, three four years in a row, and then have one really good year, and then maybe one not so good year. Nobody's going to be calling for your job. Florida seven to five ain't getting it done, son. 
And, you know, they would expect you again. Florida is another one of these schools think it's their birthright to compete for a national championship every year. I mean, they just, they just hired Jim McElwain two years ago. <laughs> they just got rid of him. Now, part of that was some of the off-the-field stuff because he claimed that there were death threats made against his family, and then that seemed to be a fabrication at best and a flat-out lie at worst. And so, but guess what? If, if Florida was undefeated at the time when that happened, I bet you Jim McElwain would probably still be the coach there. Seemed like a convenient excuse to get him out. Also seemed like a strange hire, though. He's a head coach at Colorado State. But whatever. Willie Taggart just took the job at Florida State. So he went to Oregon for one year. <laughs> he was at South Florida. Um, and he left South Florida to go to Oregon. Considered a better job. Okay. Uh, I would imagine it is, I guess. But now he got the Florida State job again. I get it. Florida State comes calling. He's a Florida guy. All right, I get it. Talented young coach. See how it goes down there. Well, what am I forgetting? It's been a couple of, well, I mean, Tennessee still hasn't hired a coach, I believe. Uh, They did bring in Phil Fulmer. Former head coach, national championship winner in 98, I believe. Um, and that made sense. I mean, they fired the current AD who made a mess of this whole situation to begin with. Um, Fulmer, you know, listen, he's, he's a favorite son, and rightfully so. Uh, so, you know, Phil Fulmer gets it. He understands the culture there. He was a head coach there for a long time. Uh, he's, you know, highly respected, very well thought of. I would suspect that they probably will make a decent hire. Again, I don't know if Kevin Sumlin wants the job. See, here's the other thing about the Tennessee job. That chancellor might not even stick around. So, and I don't know if Phil Fulmer is going to be the permanent AD or if this is just an interim thing. Um, but if there's a program out there that needs a good coach, Kevin Sumlin's still there. Again, I understand he wasn't as good. Texas A&M wasn't as good after Johnny Manziel left. Uh, they weren't a disaster. Now they, they've had some issues. I get it. Not not great seasons. They've had some issues with some quarterbacks there. I understand. Guy's still a good coach. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. We thank you as always for listening. Check us out on iTunes. On Twitter at Jamal about sport, no S, and on Facebook. Enjoy all the sports this week. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, peace out.